<laughs> welcome, 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 everyone. Welcome to the Unbox Your Give podcast, how to turn your passion into a profession. And I know a lot of people, a lot of our listeners who listen to the podcast talk about a cause that they feel very strongly about, something that pulls at their heartstrings and they want to turn that into a not-for-profit organization. And they really don't understand the details or the intricacies of what it takes to start something up like that. And that's why I'm so super excited to introduce our guest to you today. Because let me give you the background. He started a not-for-profit in 1998, an organization that supports, gives immediate support, emotional, practical support to sick children and their families. Four years ago, for his work for his effort, for the toil that he's created for this not-for-profit. He was voted Australia's local hero. He's an Australian Day ambassador. He's the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year. And his mission is to ensure that every child in every hospital in Australia has the emotional and practical support they need. He is the founder of TLC for Kids. Please welcome Tim Canalan. Welcome, Tim. <laughs> thank you, Rita. Really, it's an absolute pleasure being here and what a lovely, lovely introduction. Well, thank you. You know what? Um, I know you've been running TLC for Kids for, since 1998. Yep. Uh, and for those who may not know what the acronym TLC stands for, what does that stand for, Tim? Uh, now, well, people just think of it as tender loving care. So it's, it's nice and easy to remember. Um, it was actually an acronym from a charitable, um, it was a business that I was doing with, with my brother. It was actually called Teen Life Cares. Oh. So that's where the TLC actually came into it. Oh. And um, yeah, we had some advice from people in, uh, it was the, the Lions Club. And they said, you have to have a name that, it's a household name, everybody will be able to remember it. They said, you yeah, know, something like, well, if it's tender loving care, because everybody knows that, that saying. Yeah. So then, okay, well, it'll be a TLC for kids, easy. So, yes, yeah, so it's, it's tender loving care, which is nice and easy for people to remember, but it's TLC for kids. Excellent. So, 1998, that's 20 plus years ago. Oh, it's 20 years ago. That's, yeah. It's actually 20 years, and I always look at my watch, in two weeks' time. So, oh. 15th of June is our official uh, establishment of TLC for kids. So, yeah, we are coming up very, very close to 24 years. Super. So, what, inst what, what triggered this, this, this yearning to help kids and their families? What, what was, what's the, this, I know it's probably a lot of detail involved, but what is the summation of what pulled at your heartstrings to start this not-for-profit up? Uh, I was actually doing motivational work originally, and then um, my brother and I were helping just a, a handful of sick kids down in Geelong in Melbourne. And one of the kids got transferred to the children's hospital. This is literally the date that's coming up in 1998. And I'd organised a phone call from Jimmy Barnes for this kid's birthday. So Jimmy was calling my phone. I went to the hospital. The phone call came through and he spent about 15 minutes on the phone with this young boy. His name is Michael. And shortly after, because Michael said this was the best day of his life. And I, I got a lot out of that thinking well, it was so easy to help this kid. And Anna Darris, who was the public affairs manager at the time at the Children's Hospital, took me for a quick tour through the hospital and I found out how many kids were missing out. And I didn't understand why there was conditional empathy being provided for kids because it might be a car accident, it might be a rare illness, they might have had support in the past. And I didn't understand. I thought I was still under the impression that all kids were covered. So from doing the work that I was doing, I thought, well, maybe I can encourage other charities to do a little bit more. So I don't have any biological kids myself. Uh, I've got a beautiful stepdaughter now, but uh, it was only out of a need that wasn't being met and I wanted to fix it 
and encourage other charities to do more so I could go back. I was a professional DJ. I did that for 13 years. So <laughs> I thought maybe I can go back and, you know, DJ or play chess or do something. So it wasn't, I didn't start the charity for a job. I started the charity to actually fulfill a need and fix a problem. Um, and then shortly after it sort of progressed and other charities were referring kids to us and it turned into a, a valuable service instead of an example of what they should be doing. So it was, it wasn't intentional at all. Um, which okay. So, so let me just clarify that you were inviting Jimmy Barnes. So for our international audiences who don't know Jimmy, he's a very popular Australian icon singer in Australia. So you were contacting Jimmy Barnes to do a gig, like a, a, some, some songs for some kids. Is that correct? And then some were being... No, he was just going to wish this boy, because this, this young man was a huge fan of Jimmy Barnes. So he was ringing up to wish him happy birthday because it was his birthday. Oh. So it was, it was a special, personal happy birthday wish uh, oh. over the phone. Which was beautiful. And like Jimmy was, he was interstate, so there's no way he could physically be here. Yeah. But he took the time to call Michael and he spent 15 minutes on the phone with this boy. So it was just, I, I'm, I'm forever indebted to Jimmy Barnes because yeah. if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have known about the problem that existed back then. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So you contacted him to, to give a, make a phone call to this little boy who was sick. And then you realize, you realize that not everybody gets that their, their wishes coming true. Is that correct? Yes, yeah. Children were being chosen for the support. And I, I didn't agree with it and I didn't understand why. And, and what, was, what was indicative of what support they would receive? Is that if they were terminally ill? Is that what would make the decision easy for people to choose which child? Well, it was happening. It was, it was a more uh, well-known illnesses that were getting a lot of support. So if, if children on specific wards or they had a specific illness there may have been a, a support group for them but the kids were that were having car or being involved in car accidents or a rare blood disorder or something we've literally helped children that are one in five in the world that have their condition and there wasn't a charity that was set up to provide that extra support for them they were getting the health care they needed yeah, yeah. but there wasn't that emotional that bit of relief for them so and i thought well this is i believe children are children you, mm. you know you can't judge a child by their illness. It should be judged on who they are and what they need. So that's where it came from, out of, out of love and simplicity. That's, well, I love that, out of love and simplicity. So you've seen this need that obviously needs to be, a solution needs to be given to it. So you have, what's the next steps? What's happening after this? So you see there's nothing happening for these other kids and then what? Research. The, the, the biggest thing, and I say this and I've been saying this for gosh, 25, 26 years that people research, find out what, what's wrong. So find out if there's other people that are actually doing the thing that you want to get involved with. Uh, find out what the problems are, find out where the gaps are and find out how difficult it would be to actually set something up. And then if you find out that, well, no one else is actually doing this or there might be another organisation in another state that is helping kids over there and you want to help kids here, wherever you are, um, in your home, you know, and in your own backyard as well. It's very important to see what your problems are because if you can help people in your community and plug them back in, then you're a, a bigger community. That means you can solve bigger problems and that might be global problems. But the, the biggest thing that I, I did from knowing that uh, kids were missing out was researching and finding out and I could not find another charity that was doing this um, all-encompassing service. That They couldn't have waiting lists. It, that kids couldn't have a criteria. It shouldn't be based on their illness and have a very short turnaround time for actually delivering the service. And that's, that were my criteria that I was searching for. Yeah. 
Uh, and back then, there was nothing like that that existed. So I, I set up TLC for Kids. Okay. So that, so now tell me, what, what, are the, what are the services that TLC provides specifically? Uh, we've got a referral system where healthcare professionals actually identify a need of a child. And if it's paying for a medical bill, helping out with the utility bill, putting food on the table, petrol, oh. sadly, sometimes helping out with funerals, or it might be a laptop or clothes or even a day out. Um, that's our referral system. Uh, that's a 24 to 48 hour turnaround time again. And the requests only come from healthcare professionals. So they do the, I suppose, the vetting to make sure it's a legitimate uh, and needed request. But they also find out through conversation to see what's going to have the biggest impact for that child in the shortest period of time. So that's our referral program. Yeah. Uh, we do a lot of hospital support for kids as well and the hospital wards where we might be doing makeovers or helping out what they need. But the other program we have and developed is called a distraction box, which is, um, it was beautiful though, Rita, because I loved what we were doing and it was helping out kids that were falling through the gaps. But I still felt we weren't reaching enough kids and we developed this program that would help any kid going through the hospital system if they had a sprained wrist, tonsillitis, broken arm, or a serious or terminal illness. We've got a program in place to actually distract the kids during the procedure or examination or that initial time. Wow. So it takes away the fear and the, uh, the anxiety and the, and the pain wow. through the uh, procedure. And then they take control and then that child has a better time while they're in hospital. And that's, I'm super proud to say, uh, that's how we met two and a half thousand kids every single day of the year now. Oh my goodness. Every day, not every year, every day, two and a half thousand kids. Oh my God, which, um, that's huge. Oh. I know. So I always get goosebumps when I, when I when I talk about it and I think about what we've been able to do. I'm getting teary create. just thinking about it. <laughs> so that's in, so, God, Tim, where do I begin with you? Your work is national, right? It's not segregated to a particular state. Yes. So it's 400, uh, 405 hospitals we work with. Uh, and that is a lot of regional areas, a lot of outback areas, indigenous communities, immunisation clinics, and all the major hospitals in the country. Okay, all right. Now that, that's a lot of case. I'm going to come back to this, but before I do, now prior to TLC, you said you were a DJ. Uh, you said you were into motivational speaking. So yes. you saw that there was this need. You created this service. Did you know what you were getting in your, what you were getting in yourself in for? Like, not not by a long shot. I I was. Uh, I'm quite, I always look for the silver lining, but I'm also sometimes a little bit naive thinking, no, everything is good. Yeah. You can achieve anything. You put your mind to it. You can just go out there and do it. It doesn't matter what comes at you. You work out how to either go through it, around it, under it, over it, uh, but you never turn away from it. And yeah. that was the, the key thing that I did, especially with the motivational ones. Well, no, you, you keep going forward. Oh. You have to have integrity, yeah. but stick to your, your values and your morals. So when I started, I was thinking, oh, this is lovely all these big charities with all the money, they'll come and help out the kids and then I can stop. So that was the naive part of what I was doing. Oh. And um, then reality sort of hit me uh, pretty hard. So I was lucky enough that my, my partner who actually, she was working at the children's hospital. So she left her job to come and help. Uh, so we both set up TLC for kids and I, I couldn't have done it by myself, mm -hmm. but I think it's very important. I suppose if anything, a little bit of advice for everyone. Uh, no one's an island. But it's very important to actually go on a journey if you're trying to change the world. Mm. It's great to have, a, you know, as I say, a partner in crime because you have to be able to bounce ideas off each other. But more importantly, how you handle the rejections. 
because I look at each rejection. Rejections as a not-for-profit? Oh, absolutely. We um we had to we we funded the charity for the first two and a half years. So I was still DJing. Um, people didn't understand that, you know, because a child had a car accident, they were in as much need as a child that had a well-known illness. Mm. But the emotional state of that child would be identical, if not even worse, because that child might have been in a car accident where they lost a sibling or a parent, which is just devastating. Mm. So to raise money was very hard, very challenging. But because we were doing it together, meant that well, each day we sort of review what we went through and we looked at every rejection letter was, well, that's good because that, that's opening another opportunity for someone to say yes. Mm. So, oh, there's the motivation. <laughs> See, God was preparing you. God was preparing this whole journey. The motivational speaker was really to prepare you for TLC. Really Absolutely. Cool. And even the DJing, which is interesting because a lot of people said, but I, I don't understand the the link between your DJing and then charity work. But when I was doing the DJing work, I loved making people happy. So mm. I was there, I was playing the music they wanted to hear. I made sure every single night the people had the best time they could because number one, you're only as good as your last gig. Mm. And if people are coming to have a good night out, I wanted to make sure they were having fun. And yeah. then that transition to, well, I want to make kids happy. I want to mm. make families happy. I want to make hospital staff happy. So instead of fun, it was happy. So it was, it was a very simple transition because I've always liked, I suppose, ensuring. And it's easy to, to, to see what people like and what they don't like. And you pick up on those little, I suppose, the feedback that you get from people straight away. So, you know, you, I, I don't think you can live in a little box and say, this is exactly what we do. You can't change it because, it, you know, it doesn't matter what people think. You think, well, if you're doing a service, it should always be about your customers or your clients or the people that are using it, never about you. Mm. so it's always been that mm. and that's it from DJ it was never about me it was about them our charity work it's never about me it's about them so this is really interesting Tim because so for two years you were self-funding you were working as well as doing the and so at what point did you for someone who's listening and this is what the intention of the question is how do you break out of funding it and try and recruit people to believe in what you're doing and start to get this little organisation that you've got going, which is two years now, self-funding itself? Uh, it was just talking to people and being true. And, and I, know, I know I touched on that before, but having integrity. So we didn't change what we, what we started doing for the work and what we kept on doing. We just had to prove to people, and it's through education. If you get the opportunity to talk to people, have them understand why children need that support and that was a difficult thing it was very hard especially with the motivational work because back then it was sort of seen upon as well it's a little bit out there a little bit left of field and and the questions of well why are you helping so many kids or why why aren't you focusing just on one illness uh and i can't even tell you how many times i've been asked a question well did you start this because you lost a child or a family member oh. um, but for me it was well you just have to fix it so i think the the journey for people is well, stay true to what you want to do. Um, don't ever give up hope on it. And eventually you get enough groundswell that it becomes an aha moment for everyone. Because to change people's point of views or their minds, and you don't want, you don't want to necessarily create change. You want people to embrace it. Yeah. So they come on the journey instead of being forced into it. And the biggest thing I've found over this many, many year journey, as soon as you get people to start, offering the that they want to be involved instead of have to be involved mm. it's a completely different conversation so 
it, it, if anything, it's persistence. I didn't start this for a job. I wanted to do it as a well, it's my volunteer in my charitable work. But then uh, and had to set up a board of directors, and so it's all we're all set up. So I'm answerable to a board, and every day of the year, for the last twenty years, I've been answerable to a board, uh, believing that if I'm not doing the right thing, somebody should be stepping in and, and doing it. So it's backing yourself, and it was backing yourself, which was a nice way to do it. But you're you're being watched by yeah. other people, so yeah. you're not a solo effort. So if anybody is thinking of starting a charity, probably that's the key thing to remember. Get yourself you know, and, and talk to people, get some great advisors, set up your board of directors so they watch what you're doing. Never lose scope of, and, and focus of why you're doing it. Uh, but don't necessarily think, I want this to be my job that I'm going to get an income out of and a living. Um, if it turns into that and there might be a position there, well, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. But that really shouldn't be the, the driver, the motivator. Um, I have unfortunately seen quite a few people start a charity because it's a job um, when charity is really, it's an act of giving. So, you know, if, if you're getting remunerated, I hate that word and I shouldn't have said it. If you're getting paid to do the work, um, then that, yeah, that shouldn't be your drive. Your drive should be fixing the problem or providing a solution or a service. And then if that turns into a paid position, we'll look at that as a bonus. Okay. Sorry. So, so how do you survive then, Tim? Someone who's listening, thinking, okay, so, and that is a hundred. I agree with you, not to consider it a job. So then, how would one uh, support, give charitably? How, how do you balance a profession? Do you have your own profession on the site and then do this not-for-profit work? How does that work for you? I think that's, and I'm, I'm loving, I suppose, the concept now of social enterprise, where people actually have their their job, their service, their, their work but they consciously give back to society. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important part. Instead of just creating new charities, because we are very lucky, especially in Australia, there's 56 odd thousand charities that are registered. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people doing a lot of good work. Uh, I think it's a lot easier for people to actually align themselves with a charity. Mm-hmm. And as I was saying before, if there's nothing happening, absolutely. And I, I fully back anybody that says, you know what? there's a problem. I'm going to try and fix this because no one's doing it yet. Yeah. Um, but the key thing, if, if it turns into a job, I mean, everybody has to get, you know, unfortunately petrol costs yeah. money, food costs money. Um, what's that crazy thing called? Oh, that's right. A roof over your head. These things cost money, yeah. uh, which I get. And you know, I, I took a long time to actually accept that um, initially as well with the board saying, Tim, you have to get paid yeah. because we can't find someone to actually pay to do the work. Yeah. which, you know, it's still, it's just one of those things that sort of sits in the back of my mind, but understanding we wouldn't be where we are today yeah. if it didn't turn into a job. Yeah. Um, but I think that's the, the key thing. If you can find some way to actually have income, even if it's part-time work, have something that supports you along the journey rather than jumping straight into it. So, well, I need to raise money so I can pay myself oh. so I can do the service. Oh. So that's, gotcha. that's the key. Gotcha. Yeah. So the transition is more important than to jump ship and say, well, this charity is going to pay me and do the good, but first do the good. And then eventually if it pays you, well, then what? wonderful. But don't yes, let that be the end all. Okay. So yeah. all you were saying, Tim, that, it, you know, to start it up and to start to get awareness built for TLC, you were talking to people. What kind of people, who were you talking to? Business directors, uh, a lot of um, small to medium enterprise business owners as well, um, and then a lot of healthcare professionals, a lot of other charities, uh, people doing the work, so social workers, doctors, um, and and my local community. 
you know, my, the, the Rotary Clubs, the Lions Clubs, the Probus, so all the service um, uh, service uh, providers that are out there um, and the service clubs, they're great because they're, they're people that actually, their charter is to look after the, the community. So if you've got a great idea to provide a service to someone, go out there. It's, it's, it's hitting the, the pavement. Um, nobody can sit there and do it behind a screen and make this you know amazing thing happen if you're not actually engaging with people. And I'm all for social media, absolutely. But the, the, the face-to-face, the connection between human beings is the thing that makes things really happen because it's very easy people for people to just like something, but that's not really engagement. Unless you like, then engage, and then visit, or then contribute, a like is really just a... Yeah. Well, for some people, well, look, I've done my charitable bit today. I liked a page. I'm done. <laughs> um, which, which, uh, look, as we, as we we know, social media can be an amazing tool, uh, but sometimes, especially in the nonprofit sector, it can be something that can be a little bit uh, misleading. Because yeah. you know, you might have a fifteen thousand or one hundred fifty thousand people liking what you're doing, yeah. but if one hundred fifty thousand people aren't actually there, if you call them to say, hey. Yes. Can you guys lend a hand? Yeah. Then it's that's it, it's a little bit of a false economy, and that's something that we've we've continued to go down that path to try and work out. Well, how do you change people from conversation to engagement? And mm-hmm. it's uh, it's not easy by a long shot, but the, yeah, the advice there is hit the pavement and talk to your local community and build build a tribe, build a movement, but from within uh, instead of branching out to be too big too quickly. And what I have seen is a lot of people start something right. uh, with all best intentions and then maybe a couple of years down the track, it gets a little bit too hard and then they'll stop. And what that has done, it's damaged the giving circle where people get behind somebody that says, mm-hmm. this is what I want to do. These are my intentions. This is, these are my values. And then in two years time, they get a little bit distracted with something else or it gets a little bit too hard. And instead of reaching out say, Hey, I need help or let's get some new people involved they decide to close the doors and stop it, which then you've got a trail of people that have been let down. Yeah. So it's very damaging. So, yeah, yeah, again, I suppose the advice for people wanting to start and do something, if you're going to do it, stick with it. Um, and if you're going to change your mind, find someone to actually fill your place and, and continue it on yeah. because it's, um, yeah, it's, it's that ripple effect. We're all connected. Yeah, that's priceless. That's real priceless advice. What made the 20 years, soon to be 20 years in June, what got you through hard times? Because surely there were hard times in 20 years, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> if not on a daily basis, I believe. So what, because what, like you said, you don't have kids in your own. You knew that it was a need, but there's a point in time when some, sometimes you just think, well, what's going to pull me through this? So what was your pull through? The silver lining and my partner uh, of yeah and and as i said i know it's it's probably unusual advice for someone to give for someone who wants to start a business but find yourself uh don't do it alone Um, and there are always other people that that share the same values and and your beliefs um but if you if you don't do it alone you need to have that that sounding board that point of contact and and someone to to pick you up every now and then but if that was proving to be too difficult my advice would be find a mentor because mm. if you can find a mentor to get through these tough times and it's great to have someone from another perspective and not necessarily even the same industry. Okay. So you want someone that's professional, um, potentially either in a 
completely different industry that you're working in, but because we're dealing with people, they're the best people to be at sounding board and then help you through those tough times to be that little bit of a that hand on your shoulder, um, a little bit of pep me up. And you've got to have down days because we're human. Mm. You, I, mm. I think you'd be a bit of a robot. And um, one of my recommendations on LinkedIn was uh, one of our friends and I've known him for many years and he's always seen me as always positive. You get out there, you do the job, nothing gets me down and always smiling. And in his little recommendation, he said, I think Tim's a cyborg because he doesn't get down. He's like a robot. I took that as a compliment, but no, it is. But you do. And and you find ways to have releases. So it might be going to the gym or going for a walk or meditating. So it's important to do a lot of self-care along the journey and always maintain time for you. Yeah. So, because you can't help anybody if you're not helping yourself, and that's not a that's not a selfish thing or a, mm-hmm. a an egotistical thing. Yeah, it's something to make sure that you're doing self care, because uh, you also have to perform, which it is. Everything we do is a performance. But if if you're down, if you're feeling depressed, that energy and that that way of how you're feeling is projected onto other people. So you always make sure whatever makes you happy, and it might be the simplest thing is spinning a top or you know, mm. watching a movie, whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is, but it's your personal thing. But yeah. it's important to have self-care and that, that gets you through the tough times because then you always get to reflect on the good times. So you do give yourself TLC. That's good. Absolutely. <laughs> I like Absolutely. that. I like that. So what I find really interesting about you, Tim, is that you have won Entrepreneur Awards, you, the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur, four years ago. Now, do you run TLC like, like it's, it's a not-for-profit organisation, but do you run it like a business? Absolutely. Great. Yeah, it's, uh, we, we, we've got a profit and loss. We have to, we, we, we squeeze every... I'm not even going to say dollars at every cent. Mm-hmm. Um, we look. We've. Um, I've spent a lot of time establishing partnerships, and this has been the key thing for the growth. Okay. So uh, we make sure that we run the organisation as best we can. So we've been given free office space. We've had solar panels installed, so we don't pay electricity bills. Wow. Our vehicles have been donated. We've got a fuel sponsor. Um, uh, we've got a transport partner that covers everything for us for free. I so we've that. been able to secure. It works out about $220,000 a year in expenses that if we were running as a normal business, they would, we'd have to find that, those funds. Well done. So, so well, what's yeah. the, well done to you, number one. That's, that's <laughs> crazy pants, amazing, fantastic. How, so, so you're the partnership king. <laughs> you know, you're the, <laughs> the partnership king. How does one have those conversations? What would your advice be and how do you find those right partnerships? It's starting, number one, starting conversation. Absolutely everything you're doing, but you don't go in there with the ask. Mm -hmm. And this is the the key thing. It's the hardest thing if Mm -hmm. if you're trying to establish partnerships, but what you have to do is find out what their interests are, Mm -hmm. where they may be able to help, but you let people know what you're doing. And the the conversations always now turn into, look, I'm, I'm really engaged. Because if you, let's say, example, you might be working with animals. But there's no point talking to, and I'm not saying don't don't, don't go there and talk to everybody, mm. but there's no point continuing or trying to pursue a partnership with uh, an organisation or a company that has no interest or the, the owners or the decision makers, you know, they don't, might not really warm to animals. Mm. So you, you pick this up in conversation, well, you get your trigger points, you get a few key words that people might drop, and then you start looking at, well, what can we do to work together? 
So it shouldn't always be a, well, I just want this from you and just give it, give it, give it. But if you say, well, what can we work with on a project together? Because it's not so much the the commercial give back either. So you should be really going down that, that path thinking, well, I can sell advertising space for our charity or I can give you exposure to all of our networks because if a true charity partnership and and these partnerships that we've established, not one of them has said, where's my name going up on your wall? We've actually had to say to them, please let us do it because if people see that you're supporting us, they will get behind us even more. And they're the right sort of conversations and partnerships to have, but it just takes time. So the biggest advice, again, start your conversations, get out there, um, but just believe in yourself because uh, Anna Darris, who's our executive manager, she was saying for years, you don't know who you're talking to because you might be talking to the guy, the, the wife of the guy that runs you know, BHP, for example. Mm-hmm. And as it turned out, we actually had, it wasn't BHP, it was something similar. We had the wife of the guy that was running this company on our board. Oh. <laughs> it blew our minds. And it was just, we were talking to someone, someone said, oh, it's funny because I know her. Mm. So talk, use use the skill that we have as people, talk, and that's how you establish good partnerships. Uh, And and you you nurture the partnership because you have to have respect. Mm. So stay true to what you're doing, but just have respect for each other. Um, And uh, I suppose a key thing for advice would be to manage expectations. So have a, uh, if you can, develop a, a memorandum of understanding. Mm. Say these are the things that we can do. These are the things that they can do. And let's see where we meet in the middle. Because yeah. you always have to have two entities. And you see that beautiful space right in the middle where you think, you know what, this is great. We align with each other. I can help you do this and you can help me do that. Um, but manage those expect- expectations and manage them early yeah. rather than letting things go on. And then you find out, wow, this is embarrassing we can't deliver a quarter of what we promised. Yeah. So in and under promise and over deliver, which mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. the key to any yep. sales job. Any partnership. So what yes. how many how many staff do you have? Because there's a lot of moving parts now for TLC, helping many children and many families, thousands around Australia. So how many people are now employed with TLC or working with TLC? Uh, so I'm glad you brought that up. And this is unfortunately now it's it's locked in my head. So we have six full-time staff members and we manage 405 hospitals. So it's only the, the, the responsibility, which is beautiful. The responsibility of about 70 hospitals, each staff member to make sure our services are running on time. The hospitals are happy with what we're doing. Um, But we've developed the program in a way that because the service is accessed online so we can, manage it all from one office. We've done the scope and the projections to set up offices interstate, um, even other locations, or having staff actually in the hospitals. But because our referral system works with healthcare professionals, so they're technically working with us. So we've got 635 referral staff that are out there looking for kids that have fallen through the gaps. They refer them to us or use our services, which means that we don't physically have to be out in the hospitals to manage a job, which gives us enough time to fulfill those requests in that really short period of time. Oh, you do fulfillment, beautiful. You do the fulfillment. Yes, yes. Okay. Yes. So, so a healthcare worker identifies a child who's fallen through the gaps, who needs your services, 
they either can't, they contact you, for example, and then you guys fulfill that. Now, when you say fulfillment, you said it's done online. How, so what exactly are they accessing online, the kids? So we've got a secure portal. Uh, it's where the healthcare professional just fills in the details of, okay. I suppose, a little bit of the history about the family, why they're in this situation and what they need to happen. And what's, I absolutely love this because we're, we're answerable to obviously our, our key stakeholders and our, our board and everybody that's supporting us. But the key, the key person on a daily basis who we, we are uh, answerable to is a healthcare professional. There's one line in our referral page or it's a, a form that says when do you need this delivered and they could say i need it in an hour i need it tomorrow i need it next week so that's how we actually dictate our our priorities of what we're working on wow. but we put ourselves in the hands of the healthcare professionals to let us know when we need to deliver it so it's yeah. look it's, it's probably not a model that works with all businesses no i think uh, but it's it's that, that's what's needed. That's what's needed. Yeah, yeah. And we just worked out how, how can we make that work? What are the simple things? So we, we cut down on the red tape. We make sure that we're doing the training with the healthcare professionals so they know what we're doing, what, what's an appropriate thing to ask for, what's manageable. And again, it's managing expectations with the hospital staff. So they won't come to us to say, we need $25,000 tomorrow to buy a new car for a family. Mm. They'll say, oh, the registration is due tomorrow for this family. Can you help out? So it brings it back down to the basics wow. to get the families through that little, and it's that little hand up. So I, I love it. Oh, it's incredible. It's yeah. just incredible. So, oh my God. How do, how do you currently um, fundraising for, you know, for people to find out about you guys to raise money for Telsey? How's that currently going? Like, do you do a fundraising event? yearly event or monthly event or something like that? Yeah, we do. We do quite a few. We've got a couple of golf days that we run. We have a, a national campaign called Tracky Dack Day, which is lovely. So we encourage people to wear their trackies to oh. work or school. Um, so that, that's really engaging too, because it's a fun campaign. So uh, we also, um, we're actually part of Play for Purpose, which is um, a new initiative through Tattersalls in Australia. Yeah. And it's a lottery that they're running. So everybody that buys a raffle ticket what, through TLC for kids, for example, we get $15 per ticket sold and they do all the prizes, all the, oh. the, the merchant fees, the banking, the whole thing. So all we do is promote our Play for Purpose site. Um, great way to raise money. We mm. also have our uh, regular giving program. So we've got about 15,000 people that donate on a, on a weekly basis to us, which pretty much is probably two thirds of our funding that we raise. And the rest of it is through very generous people that hear about us either online or on the radio or if we're any sort of, and look, this is a fantastic opportunity. And I, I can't thank enough Rita because it's just an opportunity to talk about what we do. And we might get one person say, you know what, love the cause. You know, there's my $5 yes. and the $5 yes. goes so far for us. So we don't need to raise a hundred thousand, hundred thousand dollars before we can do anything. We're in a situation now that, you know, the, the number of kids we help is limited by the funding we receive. It mm -hmm. is that simple. Mm -hmm. So every dollar in means it's a dollar out to provide a service for a kid. So love that. Love so so love someone's it. listening right now and thinking, I'd love to learn more. I'd love to be able to help. Where would they go, Tim? TLCforkids.org.au. 
Uh, that's the, the simplest way. We've got a lot of information on our website about our services, what we do, obviously ways of getting engaged as well. So through workplace giving or volunteering for you know, helping out with raising awareness or fundraising. Uh-huh. But the most important thing, I suppose, it, it's it's educational and it takes people through the whole journey of why, which is the most important thing, why we're doing what we're doing. And I, I do want to share just one line that we wrote on our um uh, our business plan and the first mission statement was we help put smiles back on sick kids' faces. That's oh. our mission statement, and it hasn't changed in twenty years, and we're fulfilling that every day. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that is just incredible, Tim. I mean, you must wake up of a morning and just because they say that if someone's suffering from depression. Go and do something for someone else. That's the cure. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm only speaking holistically, guys, so I'm not a medical practitioner. Of course. Listening. But to do, if you on a daily basis, you do nothing but help other people. And I think that's, it's remarkable how you had a passion, an insight, and how you've turned that to a, into a profession. And not only a profession, but one that helps multiple people, thousands of people across Australia. And what a, what a gift you are. What a gift you and your oh, very kind. You have most certainly because I would have never have thought, and for you to have just because many people I know, and myself included, would have picked up on the idea and thought maybe can I do it? Is this like silly of me? I mean, really, can I like pull this off? But you just—that's what I'm saying. God prepared you with the motivational speaking and <laughs> and the DJing and kind of paved the way of how you could actually step by step. Which brings me to this question of. How hard is it to start up what you've done? If someone wanted to just join another group or if they found a, a problem that they just, no one else is fulfilling and they wanted to do it, what, what are the pits and the, the ups and downs that you need to be watchful for starting a not-for-profit social, social enterprise? I think it's the intention. So the, the critical thing to have is know exactly what you want to do. And as I was saying before, do as much research. Okay. And you're better off spending the time, even if you think, oh, I want to get something up and running in the next month. We'll spend that month researching, reading, visiting. We're, we're so lucky now in this day and age of technology that everything's in it, the palm, literally the palm of our hand. So we don't even have to go to a library or, uh, and I, I actually encourage people to go to a library because that's a lovely place to be quiet and focused. Yeah. Um, but if you're not, um, do it in the palm of your hand and do as much research as you can. Um, and even it, it, it's even make a bit of fun, do a bit of a poll that you go out to your, your social network and say, hey, what do you think of this idea? Or do you think this would help people? And ask questions because I think not enough questions are asked before something started. Once that's established, there's a couple of great sites that people can go through, which is like the ACNC, which is now the governing body of all charities in Australia. Um, they've got some great resources and great fact sheets on how to start up a charity, what you need to go through. Uh, but the most important thing is to look at your, look at your immediate network Look at your support base um, and find out if you want to start something, what's needed. But the flip side of that is if it's not starting a charity, if it's starting a social enterprise, look at the service you're going to be providing, then do your research again for the charity you want to provide. So don't necessarily go with the one that is the most well-known or the, the one that you've seen on the billboards everywhere. And it might be that charity, absolutely. But so long as you've done your research to find out, well, what do they do? And what sort of impact are they having? And the, and the critical thing, and I'm, I'm so happy that they've started asking this question now for people, but you ask a charity, what is your impact? You don't go by your, the, the P&L or 
how much is this person getting paid or what are you paying on phone bills or, you know, are you managing things properly? Because that's the due diligence and the accountability is standard. We all have to report, if you're a registered charity, you have to report to the ACNC, you have to report to governing bodies. So that's a given. Hmm. The individuals that are asking about uh, what the charities are doing should be asking, well, what do you do? If, if it's planting trees, well, how many trees do you plant each year? Hmm. If it's saving dogs, how many dogs do you save? So they're, they're easy metrics and easy questions to ask and any charity should be easy. It should be easy for them to answer if it's not straight away within you know minutes, basically saying, well, look, we help X amount of whatever it is. Yeah. And that should be the big, the big thing that people are going to before they start, find out what the charity does. And if they want to start their own charity, make sure that there's nobody doing it um, that they can't join their resources and they will find if they're willing to roll up their sleeves um, it, it you can't be scared of that bit of hard work but it is so easy to actually get involved with other charities if you are one to go in there without an ego to truly want to give ah. so yeah and, and people I think maybe it might be a little bit of misconception to think well I want to do my charity work so they go in there with terms and conditions of if I'm going to give, I'm going to give X, Y, Z, but the charity might be saying, we really need ABC. Ah. So if you're going to give, give. Mm. Don't, don't, yeah. don't look for what's my reward. Yeah. You can come home and do your high fives with your friends. And yeah. you know, if you want to post on social media that you planted a tree today, fantastic. <laughs> go, in with, go in with what the charity needs, not what you need. That's, yeah. that's very important. I love that. So you, you mentioned before, Tim, that you've had, you help over 405 hospitals in Australia. Huh? Yes. And you help 2,000 children a day with that distraction. Uh, yes, with the distraction box. Distraction box. So, that, so that's you help. So TLC helps 2,000 children a day per day. A day. A day. That's that. So last year. Cause, and, and where we get these, and again, it's all about the impact. We get feedback from the hospital staff. So every time they use our service, um, so our, our referral system is very easy to track because they put the request in, we've got it on our system, it's done. So we can punch out a report literally in that five seconds. For our distraction boxes, we ask for feedback from the hospital staff because some of these hospitals are seeing 15 or 20 kids per day using our distraction box. So there's a lot of occasions of service, a lot of um, interaction. So they keep on letting us know, well, this is how many kids are using your service each week. So we get our stats from the people doing it. So we don't make anything up. It's just from the data that we receive from little surveys. Wow. Um, and again, I suppose for other charities, if there's, you know, or people wanting to start a charity up, make sure you've got some easy things to provide some metrics for people so that mm -hmm. they can't be complicated. If you're sending, for example, if you're sending things overseas, we'll find out where they go and how effective they are and if they're getting thrown in the bin or if they're being used, but find out the, the flow on, not just the point A to B, because there's always a C to whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they're, they're, they're really important things, but yeah, it's, it's easy. We're, we're very lucky that we can actually love that. let people know yeah. where the money goes and what we do. I love that. And the distinction that I'm hearing, Tim, between yourself, uh, TLC being a charity and social enterprises, I, I interviewed some, a gentleman just last week or so who created the shoe that grows. And he creates these shoes that actually grow with a child's foot and he gives them to orphanages in Kenya and Ethiopia and so forth. And he leads a social enterprise and he sells a product 
to be able to get the money to be able to manufacture and to give to the um, to the orphanages. Whereas yourself, a charity, the distinction here is there's no product being sold. There's nothing. It's just purely fundraising that you're looking at. How is this money going to be best distributed with the resources that you have? Is that correct? Absolutely. Well done. Spot on. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> <which one? laughs> I, I love that and I, I love everything about that. Can I just ask, what's in the distraction box? I'm distracted by thinking about the distraction box. <laughs> well, it's funny you bring that up because every time I display it, there's one, one toy in particular that I always leave to the very last because as soon as it comes out, it, everyone's gone. Like, oh, I want to play with it. So they, they can be there for 15 minutes playing with things. So we have um, like a little windmill that help blow kids, blow the pain out for the kids. Oh. There's bubble mixture, you know, stress balls. So all the toys and items have actually been chosen by healthcare professionals. Okay. So they're tested in hospitals to make sure they actually provide a service uh, and a, a medical and therapeutic purpose. Uh, and they all have to be washed and cleaned because they're used multiple times each box. Oh. So there's a lot of testing um, and a lot of conditions that we put all of the toys and items through. So it can't be just like a fluffy dog or a, uh, you know, some liquid that might spill out. It's mm. all going to be quite robust, cleanable and usable. So, and a lot of the items, it might be a visual block as well. So mm. if a child's having a procedure from anywhere from the chest down, they might have a little book or whatever it might be where it engages the child's attention up here while the, the hospital staff do what they have to do down there. So the whole thing is to try and make the child's world small because once it's small and they've got a little bit of control, everything's a little bit better. So it's, it's I, I've got to ask Tim, who did you, who thought of that? Because that's, that's genius to distract you. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. It's, thought of this idea. One of our former board members was a, a play therapist. Um, so she told us about the idea because they were doing play therapy. And we did the research as soon as she said, well, there's a need here because she hasn't seen a formalised program. So we researched it. It actually started back in the 80s uh, in the UK. There were a couple of hospitals that were doing distraction work and using distraction therapy and they've used it with play therapy, music therapy, occupational therapy. Um, so they always engage the kids in different ways. And the primary thing they're all trying to do is have this non-pharmacological support for kids. So the less drugs being used to sedate the kids or, or any pain relievers, there's always a better outcome. Sometimes obviously there is a need if they just, they can't do it. But in most cases where they're using distraction for the kids, if they can just calm them down, it's a lot better outcome. And then we looked at the research again in Australia. There was no one doing it. So we developed a program to be a formalised distraction therapy kit of its kind. And I look over at that side of my computer on the wall and we've actually got the trademark for the word distraction. Oh, so, <laughs> are you kidding me? I, I received a phone call. We've got some uh, a beautiful uh, legal team that look after us and they do all pro bono work. And um, they've looked at all their trademarks and um, he called up one day, he said, I don't know how you've done this, but congratulations, you own the word distraction. It's a little bit quirky, but yeah, it's, it's, it's one of our little uh, claim to fame. That, um, yeah, not only we have the, the only formalised program, we also own the word. Wonderful, wonderful. And this is just incredible, Tim, the work you've done, tw 20 years in the making, what is... What does the future hold for TLC and for yourself? It's our, our primary goal is actually to become redundant. We want to, we want to desperately oh. close our doors and not exist 
God. That day will come when kids aren't scared of hospital visits. Mm. Families are actually looked after and no one's falling through the gaps. That's our, that's where we're leading to. That's where we want to get to. Um, Sadly, I suppose with population increase and, and people still falling through the gaps, I, I think that's, that's a way off in the future. So for us, it's just continuing to reach more kids, go international with our services. Uh, we're already developing a couple of um, offshoots of our programs to, again, this has been feedback from hospitals to say, hey, no one's doing this, there might be a need for it. So we'll trial something in a hospital, see if it works. If it works, then we'll trial it in five or 10 hospitals see if it works if that works then we'll roll it out to all hospitals so it's it's an exciting future um and again it's it's meeting amazing people getting feedback from the right sort of people as well and then just exploring Mm. you know life's there to Mm. while we can all walk and talk and breathe Mm. let's just enjoy the journey and and do as much as we can to make the community small again so we're all together I love that. And you know what? Uh, I think the children and the families that are touched by the work that you guys do there, they're certainly blessed to have been given you guys as a group, as a cohort. Anyone else in the world could have done this, but the fact that you, Tim, do it and that you lead the team doing it, I think that's a huge blessing because you really are in the moment, in the time that we're speaking right now and that I'm gaining from you in terms of your work and your energy and the words that you're using, you truly are just a very gentle soul and a very humble soul that, you know, these guys are very blessed to be on the receiving end of the brilliant work that TLC does. So thank you so much. No, you're beautiful. Thank you. That means a lot. I just got all teary. Then that's, oh, that's no, like, from the bottom so of my heart, from the bottom. This is so incredible. And thank you. And for guys, for you guys looking into uh, wanting to start your not-for-profit, you've heard it from Tim himself, but also I'd encourage you to take a look at TLC, the work that they do and how they support families, how they support the kids specifically. And if you would like to help, I do seriously and sincerely encourage you to give a helping hand to those people and the kids that are being helped by TLC. So, Tim, thank you kindly. Thank you so much. That's beautiful. Thank you, Rita. And keep on doing what you're doing. I I love this because you're giving people a platform, um, absolutely brilliant interview, but you're giving people a platform to talk about what they love doing. And, you know, you are oozing passion yourself because you're genuinely doing what you do and, and what you're supposed to be doing. So you keep on doing what you do because it just gets the word out there. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much for that. Thank you, guys. And we'll catch you on the next episode.